Thank you, Rebecca. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to open them to the very first gospel, the gospel of Matthew, chapter 26. In just a moment, we'll begin reading with verse 62. With Easter two weeks out, we're in the middle of a sermon series where we're looking at different people involved in the first Easter story. I call them forgotten people, not because we've never heard of them or we don't give them thought every now and then, but forgotten in the sense that we don't know a lot about them. And the more we learn about them, the more we are shocked to see they're just like us in many ways, and we are just like them. So far, we've seen Judas Iscariot, the man who kissed the door to heaven, and went to hell. Jesus is the door to heaven, by the way. And then we looked at Simon Peter, his tragic fall and his grievous rise again, his glorious rise again, I might say, his grievous fall, his glorious rise again through the power of forgiveness and the love of God for him. Last week we saw Pontius Pilate he had a decision to make about what he was going to do with Jesus. And he went to the basin of water and he washed his hands of Jesus. And remember, if you're not for Jesus, you're against Jesus. If you don't say yes to Jesus, you've already said no. This morning we're looking at Caiaphas. He was the high priest of Judaism. And we're going to see what part he played in the first Easter story. Matthew 26, beginning with verse 62. And Caiaphas, the high priest, arose and said to Jesus, Do you answer nothing? These men are testifying against you. Do you not have something to say? Do you not have a defense of what they're charging you with? But Jesus kept silent. And Caiaphas answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are Christ, the Son of God. Then Jesus answered him in verse 64. It is as you say, nevertheless I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and the coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes. He said loudly, he has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look now, you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? And his cronies and his henchmen, the religious racketeers that were there that night with him, said he is deserving of death. Put Jesus to death. And then they spit in the Lord's face. They beat him. They beat him with their fists. They beat him with their open hand slaps. They struck him over and over and over again. We're going to be looking at Caiaphas. 
There's not a lot known about him from history or from the Bible. But what we can learn, we're going to learn today. Caiaphas was the high priest of Judaism as the first Easter approached. What does it mean to be the high priest of Judaism? It means that you're the CEO. It means that you're the president. It means that you're the boss. It means that you're the big man. You can't get any higher in the religion of Judaism than to be the high priest. Caiaphas was the high priest. He had a twofold responsibility that was given to him by God. First of all, he was to speak for God to the people. When God wanted to speak to the people, he would speak through the prophets and he would speak through the high priest. Caiaphas was to take the words that he received from the Lord and he was to speak it back to the people. He also had another responsibility. And that was to uphold the laws of God that were given to Moses. God spoke to Moses. He gave Moses the laws of Judaism. All of those laws were a picture of the coming of Jesus Christ. And it was the high priest's responsibility not only to speak for God, but to uphold the laws of God as given to Moses, especially in regard to the coming of the Messiah, who is Jesus Christ. Caiaphas, when he first started out as a high priest, according to history, he was a man of high ideals. He was a man of good intentions. When he first became the high priest of Judaism, the high priest of the nation of Israel, the high priest of the Hebrew people, he, was a pre he pretty much was a good man. Whatever good means, he was a good man. He really wanted to do right. He had the best intentions. He had the highest ideals. But over a period of time, something happened to Caiaphas. Over a period of months and years, he became a liar. He became a thief. He became a thug. He became a violent man. And as Jesus now stands before Caiaphas in this late night religious trial that is taking place, Jesus is bound with ropes and he's standing in a circle surrounded by a pack of wolves called religious leaders. And Caiaphas is in charge of this kangaroo court. I don't know about you, but I like to think when I study the Bible, study stories. I like to think sometimes in the box, and sometimes I like to think out of the box. I think thinking is good. It doesn't hurt, does it, to think? So when you read the Bible, let me encourage you to think, to ask questions. Sometimes the questions will be answered. Sometimes they can't be answered. But it's okay to ask questions. And so let me ask you a question because I ask this question to myself. How does a man start out with good intentions, high ideals? How does a man start out with a soft heart toward God, wanting to serve God, wanting to do his best in the position that God has put him in for the glory of God? How does a man start out that way? And then 
over a process. The hard heart replaces the soft heart. This man who wants to bring glory to God now wants to bring glory to himself. This man that was in charge of the kingdom of God is now building his own kingdom with his name on it. How does one go from someone who wants to serve God to someone who would allow the Lord to be spit on and slapped on and punched on? How does one go from here to here? A soft heart to a hard heart, to glorifying God, to glorifying self, to wanting to advance God's kingdom or to wanting to advance his kingdom. From the worship of God to the brutality of God. How does one do that? You ready? One step at a time. Once you start down a path of compromise, appeasement, rationalization, reasoning, and all of those things go against God and His Word. It's just a matter of time before inches become feet, and feet become yards, and yards become miles. Nobody just wakes up one morning and says, I'm going to be against God. The process of being against God had already began a long time ago, ladies and gentlemen. And it began on the inside where it was invisible and nobody could see it. But what's on the inside invisible over a period of time becomes visible on the outside. And so Caphias that we see now, he's been crooked and corrupt for a long time. He just never really had the opportunity to show it. It was always on the inside but now it's on the outside. It was always invisible, but now it's visible. Caphias is crooked and corrupt, and power and wealth has done it to him. Be careful what you ask for, because what you get might destroy you. Caphias wanted to be the high priest because it was the highest position you could hold. It had great power in that position. He snapped his fingers and something was done. He winked his eye and something was done. He clapped his hands, it was done. He loved the power that came with the position. And he wasn't going to give up that position nor that power. Not even for Jesus. And the high priest's position was financially lucrative. He had access to untold amount of gold and silver. Gold and silver that was meant to advance the kingdom of God found its way into his private bank account. And the gold and silver had made Caphias an extremely wealthy man. He had power, he had wealth, and he was not going to give up either. Because when you get those two things, if you're not careful, they will crook you and they will corrupt you. How many people do you know that once they got something, a position, or great wealth, it changed them? 
it changed Trophias. And now all of a sudden, everything he was on the inside is starting to show on the outside, and it's showing through Jesus. Do you know that a murderer, you know how a murderer begins? By being a person that has hatred in his heart. You carry around hatred in your mind and heart against somebody. And you don't do nothing with it. You don't check it. You don't control it. You don't confess it. You don't conquer it. You just let it sit there. That hatred will turn to murder one day. What you had on the inside, nobody could see, will manifest itself on the outside by you taking somebody's life. Murderers had hatred in their heart long before they ever had blood on their hands. You don't become a thief overnight. You become a thief because you've got covetousness built up in you. I want this. I want that. I can't lawfully have it, but I'm going to take it anyway. It's against the law for me to do this, but I don't care. And a man or woman who carries covetousness in their heart, it won't be long if they don't control it, if they don't check it, if they don't confess it, if they don't conquer it, before that covetousness will become thievery on the outside. What about a rapist? Jesus said a man who commits sexual immorality, whatever name you want to put on it, it begins with lust. He's already crooked and corrupt on the inside. He's already lustful toward women. He's already lustful toward men. He's already lustful toward children, perhaps. His perversion is on the inside. And when he's given the opportunity, he manifests itself on the outside. This is Caphias. Power and wealth have made him crooked and corrupt but inverly. He's been that way, but nobody ever saw it. But now they're going to see it because Jesus is here to bring it out. And by the way, God brings out that kind of stuff. He'll show you who you are, even if you don't want to admit it. And he shows Caphias who he really is. But back to our story. Jesus is standing now before Caphias. He's accused of blasphemy. Remember I told you several weeks ago that Jesus, when he was brought to Pontius Pilate, this was going to be a criminal, a civil trial there, not religious. He was accused with being an insurrectionist, a traitor against the Roman government. But this is a religious trial. And so the highest charge that you can make against somebody in the religion of that day was to be a blasphemer, to be a heretic. And that's what Caphias accuses Jesus of. Based upon the witness of two liars who give their testimony, based upon the encouragement of a religious group of mobsters that are cheering, Caphias charges Jesus with blasphemy, tries him, and convicts him, just like that. The false witnesses lie, the religious mobsters amen, and Caphias gives the verdict, he's guilty of blasphemy, we don't need to have a trial, we've heard enough, he's guilty, he will be executed, send him to Pilate, because we do not have the power, 
The Jewish people did not have the, pro the power to execute their own. They sent them to Pilate, who was the Roman governor, and he would execute them. That's why Jesus went to Pilate. Because Caiaphas couldn't execute him. He could declare him guilty, deserving to be executed. Pilate had to do the executing. So Jesus is sent to Pilate to do the dirty work. Now, I want you to think with me just a moment before we finish out with this part and go to someone else. I, I want you to look at verse 63 and verse 64 and tell me if you see something different, just something that's a little bit different. It says in verse 63, the high priest demanded of Jesus to know if he was this. I put you under oath by the living God, Caiaphas says to Jesus. Tell us if you are the Christ, the, give me the next three words, Son of God. Now you see that there, Son of God. Notice what Jesus answers him back with in verse 64. Because I want you to see there's a play of words here, but there's a reason for it. Jesus says, it is as you said, nevertheless I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son, Son of God, verse 63. Caiaphas says, are you the Son of God? Jesus answers back and says, yes I am, but I'm also the Son of Man. And one day you will see me sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven when I come again. Why does Caiaphas call him the Son of God and Jesus call himself the Son of Man? Why the difference of words? Are these words synonymous? Do they, are they something to this? Let me tell you what's going on here. Caiaphas is asking Jesus, are you the Son of God? Are you the Messiah, Son of God? Are you the Son of God that the book of Psalms talks about? Are you the Son of God that is God himself? You are deity and you rule and reign in heaven. Is that who you are? And Jesus says, that's who I am. But I'm more than that, Caiaphas. I am the Son of Man, Messiah. I'm the one that Daniel spoke of in the, his book when he wrote prophecies concerning me. I'm the one that's not just God, I'm also man. And my rule and reign is not just in heaven. One day I am coming back to this world and this rule and reign will be mine down here too. What he's doing is telling Caiaphas, I am God and I am man and I could rule in heaven and I rule on earth. I'm the ruler of all. And one day your little tin horn empire is going to come crashing down when I come again. No wonder Caiaphas wanted to kill him. Because Jesus says, I'm God and I rule heaven and I am man and I will rule this world one day. And one day you'll see me come back. And he's coming again, ladies and gentlemen. 
And I won't come back as a baby in a manger. I'll come back as a king with a crown. And I won't come back to show mercy to nobody. I'll come back to bring judgment to a world that has rejected me. And I will set up my kingdom down here just like I've already set it up up there. Now, in our time remaining, I know what you're thinking. I don't, re- I don't tell you I can read minds, but I can. Besides thinking, I wonder how much longer he's going to preach. And I'm not telling you that. But if you keep looking at your watch, I'm adding 10 minutes to the message. <laughs> Sir, why are you turning green over there? <laughs> What does all this mean to us? The Bible tells us about men and women. The Bible tells us their stories, the things that they went through. Why? Just so we can say, that was very informing, Pastor. I have really been entertained today. I'm going to come back next week and tell some more stories. Well, let me ask you something. What's the purpose of all this? Why does God give us these things? Because he wants us to learn things that apply to us. These are not just stories about Caiaphas or Pontius Pilate or Judas Iscariot or Simon Peter. They're stories about you and I. And if you look real close, you can see Jim Palmer and Scott Eady. And you can see you in those stories too. If not for the grace of God, we could be there. So what can we learn from the story of Caiaphas? By the way, Caiaphas never repented. And he's not in heaven right now. You can guess where he's at. But what can we learn from this? Four things real quick. Principle number one we can learn from Caiaphas is this. It's possible to know the word of God, but not know the God of the word. It's possible to know your Bible frontward and backward, backward and frontward, left to right, right to left, up to down, and down to up. It's possible to be able to quote scripture after scripture after scripture. It's possible to be a teacher of the Bible, to be a preacher of the Bible, to be an evangelist of the Bible, but not know the God of the Bible. Caiaphas was the high priest of Israel. He knew the Bible of his day, which was essentially the Old Testament. He knew that Bible. He read that Bible. He studied that Bible. He had memorized much of that Bible. He understood the prophecies of the Old Testament that told about the Messiah. There were hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament that said, when the Messiah comes, this is who he will be. This is what he will be like. This is what he will do. And these prophecies were exact, they were specific, they were detailed. Anybody could have figured it out, particularly a man of great learning like Caiaphas. But Caiaphas was so filled with hatred, fear, and arrogance, so concerned about losing his position of power or losing his gold and silver that were in the coffers of his bank account, that he was blind. 
There's something worse than being physically blind, and it's to be spiritually blind. <coughs> and Caiaphas, he knew the word of God. He just didn't know the God of the word. You know, some of us read our Bibles, and we never see Jesus in them. Jesus is the hero of the Bible you got in your hand. From Genesis to Revelation and all 64 books in between, Jesus is the hero. Sometimes he's in the light, and you can see him very carefully, easily. Other times he's in the shadows. You've got to look a little bit, but you can spot him. But the Bible is a book about Jesus, and if you read your Bible and never see Jesus in it, you need to read it again. Caiaphas knew the word of God, but he didn't know the God of the word. And we've got a lot of Baptist folks that are just like that. You know your Bible, you can answer every Bible question, but you don't know Jesus. Truth number two that I see as we look at the life of Caiaphas, it's possible to be foolish and wicked. So much foolish and wicked that you believe that what you're doing, God approves. Caiaphas really believed he was doing the will of God. In his warped mind, in his wretched heart, Caiaphas believed that he was doing God's will to get rid of Jesus. That he was doing God a favor to get rid of this one called Jesus. He really believed that. His mind was so crooked, his heart so corrupt, so skewed, that he really believed getting rid of Jesus was God's will. He's not the first man to believe that, and he won't be the last. Do you know that there was a denomination filled with evil religious people? who said the common man does not need a Bible that he can read. And so they executed Bible translators simply because they tried to translate the Bible out of Latin so the common man could read it in his own language, whatever that would be. They actually put the translators to death. They burn them alive at the stake. These same evil religious man of this particular denomination they also put to death reformers who said the common man ought to have a voice in his church rather than just come and sit like a, a frog on a stump. The common man ought to be able to voice concerns and voice opinions and be a participant in the church work. And for that they murdered him and got rid of him. They got rid of evangelists who went around preaching the word of God, telling people about Jesus. These evil religious men of this particular denomination burnt people alive and crucified them by the hundreds and thousands. And they believed that what they were doing, God wanted them to do. They did it in the name of God. Do you know that evil religious men gave Adolf Hitler tacit approval to begin the slaughter of the Jewish people. 
He met with people of a certain denomination. Talked to them about what his new world order was going to be. What he wanted to do, the Third Reich. And while they didn't say yes, they never said no. And they turned their heads and walked away when he began the Holocaust against the Jewish race. Evil religious men today are in churches of all kinds of names and they fire pastors for no reason except the pastor doesn't do what we tell him to do. They run off unpregnant, unwedded pregnant girls who make a mistake and ought to be loved and forgiven and helped. They run them off and call them all kind of names that are derogatory. They laugh at people dying with AIDS and say those perverts deserve it. And if a person of a different color comes in their church or a different look or a different background, they run them off and they believe they've done God a favor. All in the name of God. And as Caiaphas is watching Jesus be bound and watching being spit on and slapped and punched as he orders him to death, Caiaphas in his mind and mind and hearts of heart says, I'm doing God's will. There's nothing worse than evil done in the name of religion or in the name of God. Thirdly, Religion hates the Lord Jesus. Jesus gets in the way of religion. His love, his righteousness, and his truth goes against everything religion teaches. Now let me tell you what religion is because some of you might be confused when I use that term. Religion is any belief system. Any belief system. And there's 10,000 names I could tell you. I ain't got the time nor the desire to do that. But religion is any belief system that believes that there is something you can say or do or not say or do that will impress God so much that he will approve of you and let you into his heaven one day. In other words, it's a works-oriented belief system that I can say something, not say something, do something or not do something that will so impress God. God's going to say, that Jim Palmer something special. That God is going to wave off Jesus and let me go to heaven without him. That's what religion's all about. Be good, do good, feed the poor, dress the naked, give money to the church, say your prayers, read your Bible, participate in sacraments, follow the creeds. If you do all of that, we're going to give you a piece of paper with a signature on it, and you can go to heaven. And if you mess up after we give you that piece of paper, that's okay, because we got some loopholes and exceptions and some tolerances and some choices to get you out of this. Caiaphas represents religion. They didn't want a savior by grace through faith. 
They wanted a Savior that says, do the works. Get our approval. You will have God's approval, then you can go to heaven. Our world is full of religion, and there is no religion in this world that can take you to heaven. Are you listening to me? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man, absolutely no man. It doesn't matter who you are, big shot, little shot, no shot. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man will go to the Father in heaven, lest they come through me by faith and in repentance of sin. And there's so many people think they can work their way to heaven. Ask somebody that you know, how do you get to heaven? And I can tell you 95% of the answers will be, because I believe this or I do this. Lastly, and I'm through. One day, those who judge Jesus in this life will be judged by Jesus in the life to come. Down here, we have the privilege, the luxury, if you want to call it that, of deciding what we're going to do with Jesus. You get that luxury. You can say yes, you can say no, you can say later, you can say whatever you want to say. You're the judge. Jesus stands before you. You can put your thumb up. You can put your thumb down. You can embrace him. You can kick him. You can punch him. You can spit in his face. But one day when you leave this world, and by the way, you will leave this world. Nobody gets out of this world alive. Latest government statistics, $15 million spent to come up with this one. One out of one will die. You keep paying your taxes and work your overtime. See, the government needs your money for those kind of studies. <laughs> Down here, we judge Jesus. One day, you'll stand in eternity, and you'll look at him face to face, and he will judge you. And what he will do with you is solely based on what you've done with him down here. Revelation 20, verse 11 through 14, speaks of that day, and I close with it. I'll read it to you. If you're here without Jesus, and you judge him not to be your Savior, not to be your Lord, and whatever else you want to throw at him and do to him, that's okay. One day, you will answer to him. Revelation 20, verse 11 through 14, John writes, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it. The earth and the heavens fled away from his presence, and there was no place for them. I saw the dead, the great, the small, standing before this throne, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person, every person, was judged by themselves individually, according to what they had done. It's all in the books. What you've said and done is in the books, and you will be judged by that. Verse 14, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, and the lake of fire is the second death, and anyone whose name was not found in the book of life, the Lamb's book of life, that contains the names of every man, woman, boy, or girl who ever gives their life to Jesus. It's there. 
whose name was not found in that book, they were thrown into the lake of fire. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.